typically on Christmas, I will take the Christmas story and try to come at it from a different person who experienced it. Today, what I'd like to do is come at it by looking at the words of the angels. Okay, we've heard this, we, we, we sang some songs, we've celebrated the angels' part in the Christmas story. But this is specifically what they said. In Luke 2, we read, uh, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And there is so much happening in these verses. First of all, this is an unprecedented moment in Scripture to see so many angels gathered in one location. We're talking myriads and myriads of angels, a countless number, I'm sure, that have gathered. And for these shepherds, what an experience. It's as if the heavens are torn open, the veil is pulled back, and they are now able to see what normally we can't see. They see the realm of the angelic, the heavenly host singing and praising and glorifying God at the birth of Jesus, the Savior. It's a spectacular thing to consider. They, they say these words, and, and here's the question I want to answer this morning. What was it that they knew? What did they know as they heralded and praised the Son of God? at his birth? What was on their mind? What was their experience already? We're talking, they've been around for a while. This is, this is a big moment in time, anticipated for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So we're going to look to try from Scripture to understand at least glimpses of what these angels may have known and anticipated in this big moment. And so I titled the sermon this morning, Glory in the Highest, and that is our topic. Now, we're going to be especially in Hebrews chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be all over the place in, in the Gospel of John. And so you'll notice that we, we're not continuing our normal verse by verse like we do through the Gospel of Luke. We'll pick that up in a couple weeks again. Um, but today we're going to just skip a stone through the Scriptures and see really the glory of Jesus Christ on display in these verses. That's, that's my goal. Would you pray with me as we spend some time together in the Word? What a privilege we have, O oh Father, to come now together and to open your word and hear from you. Lord, make me faithful just to deliver these words. This, this is your word, your glory, and your work here today. And we together find our place under this word, this holy and inspired and preserved and handed down word. We thank you for your revelation, both in creation, which is spectacular, but also even more so in your special revelation, your word, the Son, and the word of uh, your, your book here, the Bible, the holy word of God. We give praise for the Christmas story. Lord, help us this, this week to enter into what it really is about and not lose sight of it. Oh, the traditions are great, but Lord, I pray that even more than, than the, the memories and the fun things that we always do, that we would have the focus on your son Jesus to celebrate and honor and worship him. That is our desire today, Lord. Teach us now, lead us now in the power of your spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, let's move in here, and I want to just kind of move point by point down your sermon outline. You can see on the back of your bulletin, if you want to take notes, there's some blanks that you can fill in. The first one I want to consider is the angels understood that this child born in Bethlehem, who is now laying in a, a, a feed trough, it would have been a stone cut out feed trough, and he is in there normally where the animals would be slobbering and eaten. Jesus, the king, is laying now wrapped in, in swaddling cloths and laying in the feed trough in a shepherd's cave because there was no room for them in the inn. And as they celebrated this moment, I believe they knew this. They knew this, that Jesus, this child, is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's glory. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 1. He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, we're learning a lot right out of the gate. One of the things we understand when we celebrate the Christmas story is that this birth was, was unlike any other birth the world had ever known. Think of this. The child born to Mary was a child born without sin. There has never in the history of the world been a baby born that that can be said of outside of Christ. Every other child born is born as a, 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 a child conceived from parents of sinners and born in sin, such that it is our instinct. That is what we do. We are rebels by nature and by choice. And we prove it really early on, don't we? Right? The kids are fighting. It's, you don't have to put that in them. That's not learned behavior. That's autopilot, friends. But not so for this baby. This, this baby boy is born with no sin. He is holy and righteous. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That couldn't be said of a sinner. The radiance of his glory. When we say glory, what do we mean? The glory of God is the display of his manifold perfections. His infinite goodness, greatness, and glory. His perfection Set on display is his glory. And Jesus comes to be the radiant display of that glory. Now, when we say radiant, we've got to be clear what we mean here. The difference between radiating glory and reflecting glory is the difference between the sun and the moon, right? You see what I'm saying? If, if you're the moon, you have light, but it's a reflective light. But this child is the radiance of the glory of God. He is emanating glory, not just that he's been around God and reflecting God like the face of Moses. He is the eminence of glory. He, he exudes the glory of God in who he is, in everything he does. Moral perfection, perfect holiness, total submission, the perfect child for every parent, Imagine what it would be like to raise a sinless child. For the parent, that would be a nightmare. You would constantly be aware that you're the sinner in the mix. Sorry, I overreacted again. My bad. You were right. Like, can you imagine? He radiates the glory and perfections of God in the manger. And they worship. They know this. Because they have spent thousands of years with him already. 
He is their commander-in-chief. This is Jesus, the Lord of hosts. He is the, the commander of the army of the Lord. He is General Jesus, now laying in a manger. And the angels are just having their minds blown. Think of that. John begins his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word. Now, when you see that, we're talking about Jesus. The Word. The Word was with God. Okay, so we're, we're delving into Trinity now. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Word was with God. Jesus was with the Father. And the Word was God. Wow, okay. We're discovering now that Jesus himself existed eternally as the Son of God. So you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Spirit. This is one God in three persons. And all of us together are like, okay, I, I struggle to conceive of that. Yes, God is bigger than our highest thought. He is one God, and He is three persons. One in essence, distinct in personhood, perfect in unity, infinite in glory. Our God. Listen to what happens here. He was in the beginning with God. Now skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the Christmas story. And what does it say? We, we beheld His glory. We have seen His glory. It's the glory as of the only Son from the Father. What did we see? Grace and truth. When you see the glory of Christ, these things come together in a spectacular display and you can sum them up in grace and truth, united perfectly. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In fact, Jesus made this claim. For any who suggests that Jesus was just a good teacher but he wasn't actually God, uh, that doesn't actually fly with Jesus because he claimed to be Equal with God. He, claimed, he made claims to be God. So either he's a terrible teacher, misguided, and a liar, or he is, in fact, who he claimed to be. He says this in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. Can anyone say that but Christ? Whoever has seen me, he says in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. What's he saying? I am the radiance of God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Wow. So we have a child in a manger who is the radiance of the glory of God. The second thing I believe the angels knew very keenly is that this child is the creator of all. I, I just can't imagine what it would have been like to be an angel created by Christ himself, singing the praise of the one who created you as you look down and you see this little tiny baby in a manger, in a, in a shepherd's cave, in a no-name town. Consider these verses. John 1, verse 3. All things were made through him. That's specifically a reference to the word, Jesus Christ. And without him was not anything made that was made. So, six days of creation, Jesus believed that. That's, that's what he believes. Well, he doesn't just believe it. He did it, right? He was there. 
It was his voice that was speaking, let there be, and there was. The word, the word. It pleased the Father to do the creating work through the Son. Listen to this verse. For by him, Christ Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him, through, through the Son, and don't miss the last part, and for him. Friends, that has everything to do with you today, doesn't it? That means that you have just been introduced to your creator. His name is Jesus. And you have just heard from him the very purpose of your existence. You exist for him, for him, for his glory. You're a creation of Christ. And so we don't have this this separated experience like the angels. We share this experience. Just spectacular awe and wonder that the creator of all of creation would choose himself to take upon flesh. What a humbling work this was. He humbled himself, became a man. You hear the word incarnation. We're speaking about the God, the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, incarnate or incarnate in the flesh. He he added to his divinity humanity. And he walked around. He tabernacled with us. He dwelt with us. And we have beheld his glory. So you have the angels singing praise. They say glory in the highest In the highest heaven, this child deserves all glory. And he is their commander and chief at the point that they sing his praise as he lays in the manger. It's an amazing thing to consider. Not only that, but they also knew, I believe, that this child is the sustainer of all. There are are people out there that believe that that God, through the Son, through through the, the Savior Jesus, in eternity past, just spun it all up. He just created it all, and then he just kind of stepped back and walked away. Now he's just an observer, and he's just kind of passive. Just, there it is, get it started, and then see what happens. Like a top spinning on a table. That is not the God of the Bible, friends. That is not the God who is, who has revealed himself. We learn specifically that The Father, through the Son, created all things, and that He sustains all things through the Son as well. Hebrews 1, verse 3, we'll finish the verse. Start where we begin. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. Now look, and He upholds the universe, how? By the word of His power by the word of his power. So when you, when you hear in your mind, let there be ex nihilo, from nothing, he creates all that is. And then the second half of that, and there was. That has everything to do with you today. The reality is, is that that wasn't just a moment in time. That's right now. Listen, your heartbeat at this moment 
is upheld by the word and the power of Jesus Christ. You woke up this morning because of Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign king through whom the Father delights to create and sustain. Create and sustain. He's active. He's at work. He is not just an observer. He's close. He's here, friends. He's here through his Spirit. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things, and so now we're learning about the eternality of Jesus. He always was. He was never, uh, there was never a time when, when the Son of God was not. He is eternally existent. He is self-sufficient in the Godhead. They never are short on power. They never need to, to power up. There's never a, a time where, where the God who is has learned anything eternally existent in Father, Son, and Spirit. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So if in this next moment the Son decided to snap His fingers and let go, all things would fall apart. Not just right here in this place, not just on this little tiny ball we call Earth, but for the farthest galaxies, those galaxies a billion light years away, they are held at the very same time by the word, the power of Christ. And to think, (laughs) can you imagine what it would be like to be an angel and to know this and to look down and see him laying here? Hmm. Friends, our thoughts of God are far too small. I I repent of this all the time. As I study the word more and more, the more I realize, oh, friends, we we think of God in too small of terms. He's always bigger. That's why we need forever to explore his greatness. Now, this child is our only hope for peace. It's interesting how when the angels pronounce the glory of God in the highest, they also add this. They say, peace on earth to whom he is well pleased, right? There's, there's, a, there's a blessing or a bestowing of peace upon those uh, uh, on whom God sets his favor. His well-pleasing is not that we deserve it. It's his well-pleasing is I set my joyful, blessed favor on those whom I choose. Peace on earth. Wow. So we don't have to try to earn peace. So many world religions are built through our effort, our work. Try to be good enough. Try to reach Him. Perform. That's not the good news that the Bible announces at all. The good news that the Bible announces is, in fact, that though we are lost and dead in our sins, God has come to us. That's the Christmas story. Think of these words. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel says to Joseph these words, your wife Mary, your betrothed, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know what the name Jesus means? The Lord saves. The Lord saves. He's a, he's a savior 
From the very beginning of time, the plan was set in place that God, through Christ, would create that sin and and the curse and the fall and, and spiritual death and physical death would happen, and that in that, the Father would send His Son to take on flesh, to walk among us, and to be a Savior of sinners, to bring peace, peace with God, friends. Here's the reality. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah, in the Holy Spirit, prophesied these words. He said this, he, referring to the Messiah to come, he was, and fascinating thing, he speaks in the past tense of something that hasn't happened yet. Isn't this amazing? He was, we know, it's Jesus. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. What does that mean? We have trespassed the law of God. We have transgressed. We've broken His righteous law. We have defamed His image and His holy character with our sin. But He, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. What are we talking about? Well, the reason we always keep our manger at the foot of the cross is because you can never separate these things and see the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is only begun at Christmas. It is fulfilled in the work of the cross that we celebrate on Easter. He was crushed. Crushed by whom? He was crushed by the Father. Crushed by the Father. It said it it pleased the Father to crush the Son on the cross. Why? Because that was the plan how to save sinners from what they deserve, which is to be crushed under the wrath of God, the one upon whom we have declared war with our sin. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His stripes, with His stripes, we are healed. He is the substitute sacrifice for rebels and sinners like you and me. In our sin, we have declared war upon God, and no one who declares war on God wins, ever, ever. Our only hope for peace with God is in Jesus Christ. It's the only hope. In case we don't accept that yet, the prophet makes it clear, all of, all of us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's a great way to think of sin. Sin is, I do what I want to do, right? I don't concern myself with a sovereign who has declared his commandments for me. I do what I want. I will be the sovereign. I write my own story. I write my own rules. I live however I want. I choose to be whatever I want to be. I push off anything that would restrict my freedom. Sin. We've all gone astray, all of us. And, and, and we've all turned to a, our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Think of this. Jesus has taken the punishment that I deserve for my rebellion. That's an amazing thing to consider. Colossians 1 again, 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile. What does that mean? It means to, to bring back together that which has been separated or broken apart. Through Christ, the Father is reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How's he doing it? He's making peace. He makes peace through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes at Christmas, we don't feel the weight as we should. The reason Christmas is such good news is because we need saving, friends. You can't celebrate Christmas if you have no category for sin and rebellion and wrath. A few years ago, I did an entire Christmas sermon on the wrath of God. We need to feel that, friends, at Christmas. The reason we rejoice is because we have hope. There is a way for peace, and that way is named Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous or justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have peace with God, the Father. The one who was our judge, jury, and executioner is now a father. And all of this comes, friends, through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our only hope for peace with God. The angels, for hundreds of years, would have anticipated the culmination of all of this prophecy. And this was the night. This was the night it happened. And their joy was, was just unleashed on display before the shepherds. Now, this child is the Savior of all. We can't stop there, can we? This child is the Savior of all. If we stop there... Then, then we're all okay, right? We're all okay. We're, we could be universalists. We just, we're good. Do what you want, doesn't matter, right? Everybody's good. There are people out there who teach that, but that is not the Bible's teaching. This is the specific qualifier that we've got to see. This child is the Savior of all who trust in Him, who trust in Him. Listen to this verse. For God so loved the world, God the Father, so loved the world that He gave His, the Father, gave His only Son. That's Christ. Now, this is the part I want to emphasize, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That means that you can go through life and know about the Christmas story. You can go through life and even know about Easter. You can come on Christmas and Easter and every other Sunday. You can know about this Savior, and you can still perish in your sins. We must make a decision. We must choose to place our trust in this Savior. We have to place our faith in Christ if we want to be saved and avoid the fires of eternal hell where the wrath of God will be poured out on those who are guilty, who have rebelled, and who all the way to the grave rail against God. 
in unbelief. You have to believe in Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the way. Don't, don't miss this. There's not like 10 different ways to God. Sometimes people think of this, this coexist idea as, well, all religions are really well-intentioned. They're well-meaning. I mean, we can't really say that we're right and they're wrong. Everybody just has their own road to get to God. Not according to Jesus. That, that's not what Jesus taught. He says, I am the way, i.e., the only way. I am the truth. I am the truth. The only truth. And I am the life, the only life. And then he adds, just in case we're unclear, no one, no one comes to God the Father unless they come through me, the Son. That's the plan of salvation. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news is there is a way. However, there's only one way. And in our day of inclusivism and political correctness and all of this stuff, we've got to understand it is violent and hate to suggest that you just live however you want and follow your own path and you're going to be fine. That is not true. That is the path to the fires of hell. Love says what is true, and this is what is true. Jesus is the way. He's the hope. He is the only way, the only hope for sinners like you and me. That's why Christmas is such good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples, some from every nation, tribe, and tongue all around the world will come. They will believe by the sovereign work of God in hard hearts. He will bring them in and they will trust so we have two groups of people. I want to ask the question this morning, which group are you in? Do you know? Where do you stand with Jesus today? That, that's, I mean, the, the, the fun of Christmas and the presents and the tree, everything points to Him, if we're honest. We know this deep down, but it's so easy to just get used to just going through the motions. Okay, we're going to go to this family, and we're going to have this, and then we've got to get the presents, and we've got to run over here. And then Christmas is done, and we're back to work. But where do we stand with Jesus? That's the biggest question. There is a group of people, by God's grace, who have responded to the heralding call of the gospel of hope and life in Christ and they have said I turn from my sins and I come and I bow just like the shepherds I don't deserve to be here but I've been invited and I'm here and I bow and I worship I worship this child this savior and lord there's another group of people who stand back and they 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 observe and they they just they know about Jesus, and maybe they're just kind of indifferent. Yeah, this is Jesus, okay. It's church. There are other people who are purposefully hard-hearted. I'm sick of hearing about Jesus. I'm sick of this stuff. I hate this stuff. There is no God, and I hate Him. That is what honest atheism sounds like. There is no God, and I hate Him. 
I warn you this morning, be in the group of those on their knees before this child. Don't let another day go by where you rail and run the risk of eternal hellfire. And I say this in love. I, I, I don't say this to scare anybody this morning. I'm just saying there is a, a very real and certain future for those who are not bowing and adoring and worshiping Jesus as Savior and Lord. How do we do it? What do we do? Listen to this incredible promise. What a treasure we have in this promise alone. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and we're liars. The truth is not in us. However, promise, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's promise, friends. So I look and I say, listen, I don't measure up. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a rebel at heart. I might not be as bad as I could be, but I certainly am not qualified in and of myself to walk through the doors of heaven. And if you doubt that, then look at the, the standard of perfection of God. He is perfect and holy, and that is the bar He requires. None of us measure up. None of us. We're all in the same boat. But I say, with that acknowledgement, I come and I say, oh, Lord Jesus you are righteous and holy, and you laid your life down to pay for all of my sins. I look to you, I trust you, and I repent of my sins, and I turn from them to you. Save me, save me, make me yours, and you will be forgiven. Promise, promise you will be forgiven today, and you will have life that is without end, and you will have fellowship. You will be reconciled with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit will come to live within you as a seal for what is to come. Well, what is to come? Let's consider that. Last point. This child is the focus of our eternal joy. From Ephesians here, I couldn't help it. I just had to use this, this passage to land this message. But God... When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God, being rich in mercy, why did he do it? Because we deserved it? No. None of us deserved it. Because of the great love with which he chose to love us. He, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. I mean, you didn't deserve it. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the future for all who believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord and treasure. What's the goal? So that in the coming ages, ages, think of this. You can't even put a number on that. It's without end. Eternity. He, the Father, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, how? In Christ Jesus. That's the focal point of our eternal joy and adoration and worship is Jesus. I see him face to face. Hmm. Friends, I pray that you're there 
this Christmas. That's my prayer. It's that, it, that, that the, the worship of the Christ child is echoing in your joy at this time of year. What we have, friends, is unending praise. Death can't stop true love, to quote from the Princess Bride. <laughs> Can it? Now, where did they get that, right? If you ask the question, they got it right out of here. Death cannot stop true love. Here's the thing. Unending praise is ours now. Death is a door face-to-face forevermore. Only through Jesus. We don't fear death. We're with him forever, singing his praise, just like the angels. We're joined with the angels together forever. So our response this morning, I was just thinking about this phrase, Merry Christmas, and I, I've been aware of this uh, increasingly. There are a lot of people who have been telling me Happy Holidays, and I, I understand that. I, I get that. Not everybody is a believer, okay? But here's what I mean when I say Merry Christmas. I, I mean it this way. Let, let's just break it apart a little. Merry, I mean joyful, happy, overflowing with joy. May you, and we say this as a blessing, right? Merry, hey, Merry Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas. This is what I intend. I long for this for all of us here today. May you be filled with joy in your Christ Mass. Worship Mass of Christ. May you be filled with joy in your worship of Jesus Christ this week. That's what it means when we say that to somebody. And I long for that for everybody in this room today. May you know this Jesus as your greatest joy. And may that joy just overflow in praise like the angels in everything you experience this week as you celebrate his arrival, his birth. Are you an observer or are you a worshiper? Are you in the category of happy holidays or are you really in the category of, oh, it is, it's a, it's a merry Christmas because I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Great God, sovereign over all, lover of our souls, giver of the greatest gift the world has ever known. We adore you. We make much of you. We glorify you today in this place. And we thank you for sending your son, your only son, to take on human form, to live holy and blameless on this planet to qualify himself to pay, not for his own sins, but for my sins and for the sins of all who look to him as Savior and Lord. Oh, we worship you, Jesus, our Savior, today. We make much of you for your obedience, your humility to take upon that which you have created, to take that humanity on and to wear it in total perfection. We give praise to you for this good news, O oh Lord, and I pray for everyone in this room. I pray that, that everyone would know you in this saving way. 
If there are any observers here today, oh God, stir in their hearts the faith to see Jesus and to choose him as Savior and Lord. Accomplish what only you can do. Save, oh God, I pray. In the power of Jesus' name, amen.